You know, when I was a little Catholic boy, growing up in Catholic church, had to go to Mass every morning, uh, went to Catholic school and all that, uh, it happens sometimes uh, that you know, the, the center of the Mass for Catholics is when the uh, bread and wine in their theology turns into the body and blood of Christ. That's sort of the central moment. And then, then, then you take communion. And it would happen sometimes that people would sort of time when that was going to be. And they'd show up five minutes before the communion, uh, get the communion, and then leave five minutes later. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, the, the uh, uh, Reader's Digest version of a Catholic Mass. You know, you get the main thing, uh, and you kind of leave all the superfluous stuff. In fact, my family did that once in a while. Quick, we got to make it to the Mass. And so we, we, we'd get there just in time. There's something similar to that in some Protestant circles, but in Protestant circles, we don't center on the communion so much, but usually it centers on the sermon. And this goes back to the Reformation period when they decided that the sermon was the center of the worship service. It was the main thing. And so it always happens sometimes where people will say, well, as long as we get there to, for the sermon, we've really got the important thing. And worship begins to be understood sort of as a warm-up to the sermon or a warm-down from the sermon, uh, whatever order you choose. Now, I, I want to submit to you that that understanding is far from the truth. Uh, that, in fact, from a biblical perspective, worship is at least as important as the sermon and maybe even more important. Let me give you an analogy. As I said, my wife and I were down in Mexico on vacation uh, this last week and really enjoying ourselves. And there were times where we would, oh, by the way, it's my wife's birthday today. Happy birthday, honey. I love you. <laughs> I always get points for doing that. And so we, we were down there, and there were times when we talk about our relationship. You know, you need to do that. Like, how's it going? Uh, what's working, what's not working, what do we need to work on, and you know, those kind of things that are important to uh, a marriage. You know, talk about the relationship. But then we made sure that we had times where we didn't talk about the relationship, we just talked the relationship. Where we would just, uh, you know, love each other. Where I say, I love you, and she says, I love you, and I say how beautiful she is, and she says, what a hunk I am, and, uh, you know... <laughs> Or maybe I just heard that. Maybe she didn't say that. But, uh, <laughs> but you see, uh, there's times where you're looking into each other, uh, other's eyes. And every marriage has got to have those moments. Now, you need to talk about the relationship, but the purpose for talking about the relationship is so that you can have times where, in a qualitative way, you can do the relationship. You didn't get married so you could talk about marriage. You got married to be married. Now, the analogy is this. Sermons are talking about our relationship with God. How do you do a relationship with God? How to integrate biblical principles into our life and things of that sort. But worship is doing the relationship. Uh, when my wife and I would have times where we just can be together and love one another, we, we would just say things that are true about one another, how we feel about one another. We ascribe worth to one another, and that's what we do in worship. Worship is the time where we set aside, where we're just going to look into the face of our Lord and we're going to say what is true. We ascribe worth to him. Worship is the one thing that we'll be doing throughout eternity. I'll be unemployed right after I'm dead. Norm's going to have his job forever. This isn't fair, but that's the way it is. We'll be doing worship throughout eternity. 
You see, it's because this is our relationship. Uh, my wife and I need times where we have us moments, just us moments where we're not talking about the relationship, we're just doing the relationship. It's an us moment. So also we individually and collectively need us moments with God where we encounter God, where we experience his love, where we ascribe to God the worth that is due his name. What worship is, is ascribing worth to God. And God is worth everything. He's the source of all life, the source of all love, the source of all joy, the source of all value, and he's deserving of every ounce of our energy in worship. Amen? That's why worship, by definition, involves everything that we are. By definition. Anything less than that is not worship. The difference between a nice sing-along or a concert, on the one hand, and worship on the other hand, is that in worship we are using every molecule of our being to ascribe worth to God, saying, God, here's what you're worth to me. Here's, here's who you are. We reflect back his glory. Let's break it down a little further. Jesus said that when you, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, our physical strength. Let's break that down. We, worship begins when we make a decision in our heart to worship God. Our heart is our innermost being. It involves a decision. You make a decision. For this amount of time, I'm going to focus on God. I'm just going to uh, use everything that I'm about to, to worship God. It's a decision. Sometimes it's a hard decision because we don't always feel in the mood for it. Probably a lot of us came here today and we're not really in the mood for it, you see? So it's a decision that we make. Sometimes it's a hard decision. That's why the Bible says that it, sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise. It feels like a sacrifice to do it. But you see, worship becomes worship when, regardless of the circumstance we're in, we make the decision to worship God. When we worship God when we're feeling sick, we're saying, God, you're more important than my physical health. When we worship God despite the fact that we had a fight with our spouse this morning, we're saying, God, you're bigger than my marriage problems. When we worship God, despite the fact that we're not getting along with our kids, we're not getting along with a friend, or we've got financial problems, we're saying, God, you are bigger and more important than, than all my relationships, bigger and more important than all my financial problems. So right here and right now, I'm going to set those things on the back burner, and I choose to focus on you. I choose to worship you. I choose to put those things on the side. They'll be there when you get done. Don't worry. They, don't, they won't run away. Uh, you know, you, you can afford this, but it's a decision you make. How, how, whether you're awake or whether you're asleep, whether you had a good night's sleep or whether you didn't, whether you're healthier or not, you make the decision. It starts with a commitment in your heart. And then worship is about focusing our mind. We worship God with all of our mind. In fact, where our mind is at, now listen to, listen to this, where our mind is at when we worship really determines whether we're worshiping or not. What would it be like if, as my wife and I, one time we were on, on this vacation, we were out in the water, in the ocean, and just enjoying the scenery, and, and we're having one of those us moments. What would happen if, in the middle of it, I, I looked at my watch, and then I looked at the bird flying overhead, and I said hi to some people on the shore, and, you know, I, I just was kind of scattered. Am I not saying something about what this moment is worth to me? You think? The, the quality of my attention towards my wife is the act of ascribing worth to her. So also, worship is determined by the focus of our mind when we worship. He is deserving of all of our attention. Uh, we look him in the eyes and he looks us in the mind, which means this. Worship becomes worship. 
A sing-along transitions into worship when our attention, our consciousness is solely, completely, exclusively subsumed in the one that we're singing to and, and the songs that we're singing about. And so I encourage people as we're singing songs to enter into them. Close your eyes if you know the lyrics or look at the screen if you don't know the lyrics, but have your attention on the song. Have your attention on the one that we're singing about. When we're singing about the wonderful, merciful Savior, be picturing the wonderful servant a, a wonderful, merciful Savior in your mind. And when we think about a strong tower, picture the tower. And when we think about the, the, the one who rescues us, see him rescuing you. Enter into it with your imagination. Our whole self, every ounce, every, every neuron in our brain is to be focused on him because he's worthy of that. Amen? It means that you got to sometimes be disciplined and shut out things that are competing for your attention. It's harder to worship in the back than it is in the front because you got all this potential distraction up there. You know, so you just got to be more disciplined about it. And you make the decision. I'm not going to be distracted by the person, the kid crying over there or the person who didn't take a shower next to me and the person who's singing off key over there. I'm not going to be distracted by my stomach ache because God is bigger than all that. God is worth more than all that. And so I choose right now to focus on him. Amen. It involves all of our heart, it involves all of our mind, and it involves, get this, all of our body. All of our body. Now, here's one that we Westerners, at least a lot of us, don't really get in on. Uh, we have this strange bifurcation between our bodies and our, 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 our hearts. Uh, and so we have things said sometimes in pious circles where it says, let us celebrate with joy the Lord's goodness in our heart. In other words, you know, don't say it for crying out loud, but in your heart. And so we have this like private thing where it's got to be private. It's got to be, you know, inside. But see, the Bible doesn't divorce what we do with our body from what we do with our heart. The Bible understands that we're holistic creatures. And what we do with our body affects our heart, and what we do in our heart affects our body. And so it's important to enter into worship with our bodies. Uh, the Bible doesn't have an idea of a disembodied worship. The Bible talks about using our vocal cords. That's our body. Use our vocal cords to worship God. Sing unto the Lord, it says. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We're just using our vocal cords to say, God, here's, wh here's who you are. Here's what you're worth. Here's what you mean to me. And the Bible talks about worshiping God with our hands. Numerous verses talk about raising our hands to the Lord. That's a Bible command. That's not just something that, you know, charismatic churches do. No, that's a Bible command. Lift up holy hands unto the Lord. The Bible talks about clapping our hands and making a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's all very, very biblical. I know it's strange for some if you're not used to it. But I'll tell you this. What you do with your body affects within your heart. And I challenge you. Raise those hands in obedience to Scripture and see if, if sometimes at least that doesn't release something in your heart. Sometimes people like they're a little, feel like they're, they're a little too uh, sophisticated to be raising their hands or clapping their hands or dancing their feet. But I'm telling you, if you're too sophisticated to clap your hands or raise your hands or dance with your feet, you're too sophisticated. You know, Get over that one. Yeah, it's like... Because you're selling yourself short and you're selling God a little bit short. There's a part of you that wants to get involved. And yes, some people are more extroverted than others, and I got all of that. But the principle is this. Express what is on the inside through the outside. Use your body and see how God doesn't bless that and respond to it. The Bible talks about dancing before the Lord. That's an okay thing to do. That's worship. That, that's, God gave us rhythm for a reason. And, and you, you know, I, I, it's not about you know, becoming crazy and doing cartwheels down the aisle. Don't draw attention to yourself. You've got to honor some social propriety. But on the other end of things, if you're distracted because the person in front of you is just kind of like, you know, dancing before the Lord, maybe the issue is you. You've got to focus harder on Jesus Christ. 
Amen? With all of our body, our voice, our hands, kneeling is a way of worshiping, even laying prostrate before the Lord is, is, is a way of worship. The point here is this. Get, use all that you have. Get into it with all that you have. Focus all your energy on the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrender to him. And, and, and see how he, how, how, how he blesses. Now, the, the focus of worship, the point of worship, is to glorify God. It, it, it's, it, it's for him to get the glory that is due his name. He is life itself, love itself, joy itself, everything that is good. He is that. And so it, it's, it, it, he's deserving for us to just reflect that back to him. That's what glorifying means. When we worship him, we're like mirrors reflecting that back. We're, we're participating in his glory as we're reflecting it. The goal is to glorify God, which means this. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about you. It, it means that uh, you know, your worthiness is not the issue. His worthiness is. Now, sometimes the devil gets in there and says, uh, you know, oh, well, it, once you get spiritually mature, then you can really get into it. Then you can lift your hands. Then you can clap your hands. Then you can shout unto the Lord. Then you can become passionate. But right now, we know that you sinned last night, so therefore, you're a hypocrite if you raise your hand. Nonsense! It's not about your worthiness. It's about his worthiness, and he's worthy even when you're not worthy. Amen! The truth is, none of us are worthy. None of us are worthy. It's by God's grace that we can worship him at all. So get over that one as well. He deserves our praise. When we've had a good week, he deserves our praise. When we've had a bad week, he deserves our praise. It's not about us. It's about him. That's why it's, it's not about whether we like the music or not. Some songs we like, some songs we don't like. But if you're there making a decision whether you're going to worship or not based on whether you like the song, you're making it about you. Don't make it about you. Make it about him. If the band's on tune, it's about him. If the band's out of tune, it's, uh, it's about him. If things are working right, it's about him. If things aren't working right, it's about him. If you're in the mood, it's about him. And if you're not in the mood, it's about him. You're having a good week, it's about him. And if you're not having a bad week, it's about him. Worship is about him. Amen. A friend of mine, a friend of mine, Graham Kendrick, shared this story one time when he was walking out of a worship service that he led, and, and a friend of his said, you know, I just didn't get much out of that worship set. And my friend Graham replied, responded by saying, oh, I didn't know it was about you. <laughs> I didn't know it was for you. You see, it's, it's, it's for the Lord. Uh, the goal is to worship God. Now, when we worship God because he's God, just because he's God, you worship God because he deserves it, because he redeemed us. When we worship God because he's God, you know what? There is something in it for us, but that's not why we worship him. What's in it for us is this, and here's the biblical promise, Psalms 22. God inhabits the praises of his people. God is enthroned, it literally means God is enthroned on, sits on, dwells in the praises of his people. When we worship God, God's presence comes down. Uh, you see, and, and, and this, is, this is what makes it an us moment. Uh, the, the, the things of God become real to us. Uh, we begin to experience as a reality the things that we already believe in our head. The presence of God. The presence of God turns this from just a human gathering to a supernatural us moment with God, an encounter with God. I love the story in the Old Testament when, when uh, they started to worship the Lord when they first built the temple. And it says that the Shekinah glory... The Shekinah glory came down. And the, the power of God was so thick, the people couldn't even stand up in the presence of God. That's an us moment. Amen? Have you ever had it happen in the middle of a worship service where, where all of a sudden it, it, it seems like the atmosphere changed? 
Uh, it's like, whoa, you know, and, 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 and you begin to, now you don't just know about the joy of God, you begin to experience the joy of God. You no longer just know about the love of God, you begin to experience the love of God. You no longer just know about the peace of God, you begin to experience the peace of God. You no longer just believe in Jesus Christ, you begin to experience the reality of Jesus Christ. Praise God, we need that Shekinah glory to come down. We've had some wonderful, marvelous moments where God has encountered us. But you know what I, 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 I'm so convinced of? There's a whole lot more of God that we haven't experienced than what we've already experienced, and I want it all. I want them all. I want that Shekinah glory. I want that supernatural presence. Sometimes the power of God can come down so thick, so tangibly, that even unbelievers can't deny it. We've had more than a, a few dozen people saved in the middle of our worship services before they ever even heard a sermon. And they didn't understand a lot. They didn't know what was going on. But see, they smelt it. They tasted it. The reality was here. And they wanted it. They said, this is what I was made for. This is what I need. That happens to the degree that each of us makes the decision to be exclusively and totally lost in worship, totally focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, totally exalting his name. When we do that, we become a conduit through which the power of God flows. He inhabits the praises of his people. The Bible doesn't say he inhabits a sing-along. The Bible doesn't say he inhabits a concert. But when the people of God make the decision to worship him and to exalt him, the power of God comes down. When the power of God comes down, the elevator between the head and the heart starts to get connected. Uh, we begin to experience the reality of things that we believe. How many of us this morning are missing out on that experiential dimension to the Christian walk because we've never learned the power of completely and totally selling out in worship of God? Think about it. When the power of God comes down, here's another thing that happens. Demons have got to flee. Demons have got to flee. Darkness cannot dwell with light. And when we are exclusively focused on Jesus Christ, sold out in worship, and the power of God comes down, uh, everything inconsistent with the kingdom has got to leave. That's why a good worship service is like taking a nice shower. You know, it just like washes. You get all the spiritual pollution on you, you know, throughout the week. You come here together, and, 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 and the power of God comes down, and it's like cleansing you. It happens a lot of times where in the middle of a worship service, all of a sudden, uh, you know, a depressed heart begins to be joyful. A, 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 you know, a, a, a heart in bondage becomes, begins to be free. Uh, conflicts begin to be resolved because you're getting spiritual pollutants off of you. One of the best things you can do when you're feeling hassled by the enemy is just to stop fighting him on your own and start worshiping God. In the Old Testament, that story of Jehoshaphat when they went into battle, you know, they were scared, they were outnumbered, and God said, tell you what, you just put the singers and the dancers and the praisers and the tambourine players, you put them in the, in the front, and you have them dancing as they go into battle and singing the victory of God, and I'll take care of the rest. Praising God is spiritual war warfare. Celebrating who God is is an act of spiritual warfare. When we lift up the banner of the cross, demons have got to flee. Captives are set free. Amen. So crucial that we enter into passionate worship to get the garbage off of us. The final thing that happens is this. When we enter into to, to, to passionate worship, we become changed people. Uh, transformation is not first and foremost a matter of our trying with our own willpower to change ourselves. God changes us, and God changes us when we're open to God changing us, and that's what worship does. As God inhabits the praises of his people, we're giving God a chance to work in our life. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we need to be doing that on our own, but there's a special, unique kind of power and authority that comes when we gather together. And, and it's like an exponential increase. And as we, as the bride of Christ, adore the groom who saved us, 
As we do that, God begins to work in our hearts. And uh, uh, as we experience the reality of God, uh, now chains begin to be broken. Uh, attitudes begin to be changed. Uh, things that the people you hated, you begin to love. Uh, you know, bondages that you begin to, you used to have, you begin to get free from. There's deliverance in our praise. There's salvation in our praise. There's freedom in our praise. There's joy in our praise. There's transformation in our praise. Praise God. Worship is not a warm-up to anything. It is an end in and of itself. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says that we with unveiled faces, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's like when the Shekinah glory comes down, uh, a part of it hangs with us, and we're transformed into the glory of God as we behold the glory of God in our mind and through the power of worship. One final word. When we come together... We all have a responsibility in making this an us moment. We need to be doing this on our own, as I said, but when we come together, there, God wants to encounter his bride here. And it is not just the privilege, but it's the responsibility of every believer to make the decision in the heart, to focus the mind, to engage the body, to worship God as though it was the first and the last time we ever were going to worship God, because anything less is not ascribing to him the worth that is due his name. It's, it's everyone's responsibility. And it's not just about you, it's about others because you're either helping the process or hindering the process. You see, as we all become channels, it starts to flow here. The power of God begins to flow here. God's a social God and everything he did, uh, everything he created works better when it, uh, socially than individually. Every one of us has a role to play. And there might be someone who's getting robbed of a blessing because you're looking at the thing rather than participating in the worship, you see? We all have a responsibility here. I'm talking to believers here. Non-believers, you know, you, you can just spectate that. That's what, you know, that, but, but watch it. God will be drawing you in here. You, you'll start to smell a fragrance. You'll start to sense something here. But believers, we have a responsibility.